Hi, I'm Rochelle Jackson, and this is The Crime Couch. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author, and I know who's who in the zoo, the crims, the cops, and the interesting individuals in between. So get comfy and join me here on The Crime Couch. It's going to be one heck of a journey. This is the final of a two-part episode with former Victoria Police Inspector Phil Shepherd. Phil Shepherd cut his teeth at Victoria Dock, where he learned about the painters and dockers, stolen goods, drugs and prostitution. The former Victoria Police Inspector did special duties in a bag of thief team, worked in inner city CIBs and the Homicide Squad before setting up the Airlie Leadership Centre under Chief Commissioner Christine Nixon. Phil was seconded to the AFP and the Australian Institute of Police Management before returning to VicPol to head up the media unit and set up his own consultancy. Hi Phil and welcome to The Crime Couch. Hi, Rochelle. Thanks. Great privilege to join you. It's an absolute pleasure. Phil, under Chief Commissioner Christine Nixon, you were tasked with Kevin Scott to set up the Early Leadership Development Centre. My dad was an officer and went through Early, and I'd imagine a lot of people listening would also have gone through Early. What was the issue with the the college as it was? I I don't think there was any issue per se. Ely had been part of Victoria Police for a long time, it was almost an institution and you know the pathway to uh, becoming a commissioned officer. But I think when Christine Nixon arrived, there was, there was two things that she said. Uh, one was, why do we have such a special venue, house, you know, space that's only used by a group of inspectors and some staff at Ely? I think then it was too programs or two courses a year and I think they're about 10 weeks and the rest of the time it just sits there. She said why why don't we have that available to all of or certainly more of Victoria Police? That was her first thing and the second thing is that she said you know leadership in Victoria Police uh, has always been about you know command and control, how do you run a job, how do you get you know the best results and you know make sure your people are doing what they're supposed to do. It was never about or rarely about, you know, how do you actually lead people? How do you foster a better culture? How do you grow individuals that don't want to grow? How do you help people turn around their negative attitude or their wet blanket sort of cancerous, toxic impact on a workplace? How can, how can you deal with that? And, and this was a a sort of a dream that she had and, and I was I think privileged to be invited to be sort of part of the team that started to uh, I use the word experiment because really we didn't know much but it was it was a good opportunity to start and to start to explore what we might be able to do in that space of helping people in their leadership work. When did you decide Phil to become more corporate and less operational and, and why was that a natural fit for you? Well, it was probably at that moment, and I don't know if I decided so much as it decided for me. I'd been really passionate about being operational. In fact, I remember at that opportunity, at the time I was the officer in charge of Collingwood Police Station, which I loved, probably one of the best experiences in Victoria Police. And I remember thinking, gee, if I leave this, you know, I, I'm, 
I'm not never going to be able to come back and work here again, you know. But I think my passion for leadership was real, and and that came about. I've often said this in working with groups of cops that. For me, that really started to emerge probably as young as a constable, senior constable, when some of the sergeants and senior sergeants I had, most of them actually just treated me as a number. But occasionally there was someone who found a way to challenge your thinking, stretch you, um, make you want to get better and grow more. And, and, and those people, in my view, were rare. So I, I really was keen to sort of see, see that happen. And, and yeah, so that was a big part of of that experience. Phil, you were seconded to the AFP and you worked in the Australian Institute of Police Management. What did you personally get from this secondment? It was a bit like, you know, what do they say? It's stepping out of the the little goldfish pond in the front yard. All of a sudden, uh, I never ever imagined working outside of the state of Victoria for Victoria Police, but that's effectively what I did. So I was on loan to the Australian Institute of Police Management for 12 months. I went there as what they call a visiting fellow, which is just a sort of a fancy academic term for being part of the staff, but I was still owned and, you know, funded by Victoria Police. But that that 12 months really opened my eyes to, certainly to policing on a national, if not an international scale, seeing, seeing the challenges that are faced right around the world with so much similarity. Um, but some difference in terms of how people respond to them. Uh, and secondly, I was, my eyes were really open around leadership in, in a much bigger way. And the opportunities that I had, not only at the AIPM in Sydney, but to, to do some work overseas as well, just in 12 months, really helped me see things in a much bigger picture. So uh, I think that's what it gave me, a, a, a bigger appreciation for the art and the profession and the work of policing, but also how critical leadership is to that profession. You were lured back to VicPol to head up the media unit during arguably one of the organisation's most challenging times. It was just after the ICAC hearings. The hearings resulted in the resignation of Assistant Commissioner Noel Ashby and Media Director Steve Linnell. What were your challenges there? You obviously had to work a lot on the culture. Yeah, huge challenge. It sort of came out of the blue because I was expecting, in fact hoping, that I was coming back to an operational role after doing this leadership bits and pieces for three years. Sort of had a personal phone call. I think I was in Hong Kong actually doing some work with the ARPM and got a phone call to say, hey, we'd really like you to consider this. I remember saying to Christine Nixon, I I don't know if... You know, I've got a strategic media bone in my body. You know, I've done a few stand-up interviews at different times, but I, I, I don't get how the media works. And, once you, and I remember she said this, she was very clever. She said, Phil, I, I'm not looking for strategic media. And I said, what are you looking for? And she said, I really need leadership. And whether it was intentional on her part to hook me or not, I don't know. But for three years, I'd been talking about and trying to help other people think more deeply about their leadership and to do it better. I thought, wow. There's nothing like a challenge to actually try and do that and see if I can make a difference. And so, yeah, took on the role. You know, in terms of the challenges, it was internally. It was you know, firstly about, you know, at the office level, just really rebuilding a, a bit of a debilitated team. Amazing group of people who just did and do do so much. But their confidence and their trust was really shattered by what had gone on. All of the people involved, the players, you know, some who left the organisation were 
in the media office regularly and so there was sort of strong connection between them and so for all of this to have been going on out of sight of the media personnel's you know eyes and ears came as a huge shock to them and it really shattered the sort of the trust connection so it was about building that rebuilding that team it was also about I think rebuilding the reputation of of the media unit across the organization and, and obviously because of what had happened there was there was some real shadows cast across what what do the media unit really do and and so on and and, and then perhaps more broadly outside the organization it was about rebuilding some trust and reputation there journalists and and some of the media organizations but of course that then filters down or, or you know a consequence to the, the the community of victoria as a whole to actually you know, instrumental in being able to trust Victoria Police to, to get the media right. So it was a hugely challenging role. Uh, I don't know if I helped it learn more or it, it actually taught me more, but it was an incredibly, uh, you know, powerful year and, and you know, a real privilege to work with some really talented people in that time. Phil, you then returned to the AIPM as a Director of Education. Now, I can hear every operational cop saying, you know, why do I need further education? Why do they? It's a great question and probably one that I ask myself, I think. When we join the job, as we call it, uh, it's about, you know, in my mind it was always about catching crooks and uh, keeping the community safe. And um, sometimes we sort of think, oh, we're getting confused from our mandate of doing that. But actually, just because you're good at being an investigator or surveillance operative or gathering intelligence and packaging it and sharing it in any useful way, whatever it is that you do as part of the organisation, just because you're good at that doesn't make you a good leader. Um, and sure, there's times when, you know, you can steer the ship and it goes well but there's plenty of times where it becomes really challenging and particularly I should say you know when you're trying to work with people who don't want to get better when you're trying to challenge something that's going on in the system the culture of the organization how do you do that effectively and take people with you instead of being bleeded out as a squeezer or as a uh, somebody who's just having a whinge and well as you used to say you know they call, call you a believer or whatever whatever that it actually means it really is so that's true that is such a phrase they use you're such a believer which basically means the it's almost like it seems to be the antithesis of being a cop I think so. I think there's probably a, there's a lot of things that get get lost a bit in the narrative around policing. You know, um, suffice to say that we're not fast to embrace things that are outside of what we know as our you know comfort zone in the operational space. But I I think to get back to your question, the criticality of leadership is more real and more necessary, if not critical today, than it ever has been before. You know, as teams and as an organisation, we are facing, apologies, I keep saying the word we, the organisation facing constant challenges and new threats and at a much more frequent pace than ever before. The scrutiny, and that's from inside the job, whether it's a boss or whatever, but also from outside, you know, the media, the public, you know, and it's, it's sort of exhibited by talkback radio and social media everyone now has a view on how the cops should be doing their job and so it makes 
that and, that's got and a camera right on and so all of that has got to make you know the leadership work that we do more challenging and so you know i don't think there's ever a place where someone arrives at being a great leader i I think you might be doing okay for a season but something will come along and challenge that because the world keeps changing and and if we want to be effective in our leadership we've got to change with it i think what's really fascinating with your career phil is that you've had such an incredible opportunity you've worked with the world's best police you've worked with the fbi the royal canadian mounted police the met in london and you all work to develop a global leadership in counter-terrorism program. So tell me, are police organisations good at shared learnings and passing on intel, Phil? I, I think police organisations are much better at doing that than they have been in the past. We were, you know, I think always, all of us at some point have probably been guilty of, you know, just keeping a bit of a shroud around some information because we don't want it to get out or we don't want it to get into the wrong hands. Uh, and all, all of that is true in, you know, essential sort of sensitive cases, but there's so many things that can be shared and have been shared and the, the evolving and the development in the last probably 15 or even 20 years around the sharing of information and intelligence and even practice and procedure has been huge in terms of shaping not only policing as a profession, but the results that we're getting. And the counterterrorism space is an acute sort of an example of it where there's so many instances now where people, not just here in Australia, law enforcement or intelligence organisations, but actually global partners have helped to build a picture. And in many instances have been responsible, the partnership has been responsible for helping to foil, you know, a terrorism plot. There's examples of them here in Melbourne. And on some of those occasions, you know, some of the very first pieces of information actually came from the UK or came from the FBI in America. Yes, enormous dedication and hard work by our incredible people here to sort of join all the the dots and, and, and bring it all together, but the partnership is essential. And so in my view... Uh, partnership is essential. I, I think there's still some way to go. Programs like the the linked, as we call it, leadership in counterterrorism program, is is a great example of it. You know, we'd have sort of 45 people from the Five Eyes intelligence communities together. They'd be together twice a year for about eight or nine days. The same group of people, and incredibly interesting presentations and case studies and conversations about you know what's next and what's around the corner. But if nothing else. The fabric of those people spending time together, building relationships and a trust platform, you you just cannot put a price or a value on the trust relationship, which then opens up all the doors of communication and the information sharing that you're talking about. So incredibly valuable and necessary in in modern day policing. Phil, is this one of your proudest achievements, developing this global leadership and counterterrorism program? It sounds like something that you feel very proud of contributing and, and, and achieving. Yeah, look, look, certainly you're always proud of those kind of things, you know, but to make it clear, you know, I was working with a, a significant team of people from all those other organisations to help bring it together. But you, you, always, you always have, you know, a sense of satisfaction and some pride when you see something that helps to make a difference. 
biodifference, I'm talking about something really practical. You know, how, how does it make a difference to the sort of, the, you know, the, the society we live in and the sense of safety that we experience, you know, in and around our community? So, yeah, it's a, lots of things, privileges, I think, that I had at the ARPM were incredibly satisfying and, and you know, things to be proud of. And, and certainly that was one of them for sure. Well, Phil, 27 years in VicPol, nine years in the AFP. Uh, you've now established your own consultancy, Phil. How is uh, life treating you? <laughs> it's actually pretty good. It's, it's sometimes I look back and I think, you know, 36-odd years in policing is um, probably in anyone's language remarkable. It's, you know, a, sort of a life sentence in a whole range of different ways. But I'm, <laughs> I'm incredibly grateful to policing for what it's given me. I think probably for for most of us, it's taken something from me too, but it's been very good to me. It's been very formative and shaping of me. Um, And, uh, you know, I I, I think it's it's shaped the way that I think and I behave. Not not all of that's fantastic. If you would ask my family, they'd tell you a story or two about that. But, But I think the idea of policing, you know, when it gets into your blood, and it does after you've been around the organisation for a few years, it's pretty special. And, and so I'm grateful for it. But I'm also grateful that there's life after that. Having said that, some would, would argue that I haven't quite severed. Um, and the reason for that is because a lot of the work that I do now, still very much in the leadership and the culture space, is with the police and emergency service jurisdictions. Uh, so I'm privileged to work, I think, with all of the uh, police jurisdictions here in Australia and uh, about three or four jurisdictions overseas as well. Um, do some work with the ambulance and the fire service. Do some other bits of pieces as well, some corporate work and a bit of work with the AFL and defence and so on. But but most of the stuff that I do is still in that emergency services space and I love it. And, and I hope that, you know, I'm able to help in it because at least there's some sense of being able to identify with some of the challenges that they're faced with, notwithstanding that those challenges are much more significant than when I was, you know, in some of those roles in Victoria Police. It's a great opportunity too, after you've served your time, to give back in such a different way. What's next for you personally and professionally, Phil? Yeah, well, I don't know, it's a great question. I'm, I'm not too much of a planner. Uh, I, don't, I haven't got a 10-year plan, you know, about what's next. But I think if I look into the into the the future a little bit maybe it's a bit about slowing down I'm not really good at doing that yeah hopefully that means a bit more time uh, doing something I love you know riding a bike and I also still love as much as the body will enable uh, doing you know house renovations so sort of got a couple of little bits and pieces of you know here and and elsewhere for others and I, I love doing that so I'm not sure Beyond that, I, life is incredibly good and I'm grateful for it. I'm grateful for my health and the opportunities that I have right now. Well, Phil, thank you very much. It's been a delight sitting with you today on the Crime Couch. Thanks, Rochelle. Privilege to be with you. Thanks for joining me. I'm Rochelle Jackson and I look forward to your company next time on the Crime Couch. 